But before we hear from Chad, um, I would like to read uh, to you some scripture from Nehemiah chapter 4. Um, in this chapter, Nehemiah is sharing the story about the opposition um, that the people faced when they were rebuilding um, the walls of Jerusalem. So Nehemiah chapter 4. When Sambalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah, the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what they are building? If even a fox climbed upon it, he would break down their wall of stones. Hear us, our, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in, in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. But when Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the men of Ashad heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's wall had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them, and we'll kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will t attack us. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other, and each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, 
have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve us as guards by night and workmen by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon even when he went for water. Well, good morning, everybody. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Chad White. I have the privilege of walking with you through the book of Nehemiah this morning. Um, I'm going to apologize now. I'm going to throw a few stones, but I want you to know I'm just as guilty. I told my wife that I should probably put a piece of plywood behind me so that, you know, block the, the glass house. Um, but anyway, that being said, um, Nehemiah is probably one of my favorite characters in the Bible for the simple reason that he's just an average Joe. And he's not a prophet. He's not a king or a warrior. But Nehemiah does some amazing things for the kingdom of God. Nehemiah faced adversity, and he faced some pretty serious opposition. And I would even go out on a limb to say that, uh, that he did have, some few, uh, have a few doubts about what God was calling him to do. But despite all of that, uh, he kept plugging, or shall I say, praying through. Pray with me. Father God, you are good and gracious. You walk with us and call us to be more than even we ourselves can see or imagine. May your word speak through me, and may your message be transmitted clearly. Amen. So one of the things I enjoy reading in the book of Nehemiah is seeing how God perfectly equipped Nehemiah for the mission he was calling him for. I believe that Nehemiah never imagined how being a cupbearer for the king could prepare him to lead the Jewish nation to rebuild Jerusalem. But the exposure to the king's proceedings taught Nehemiah diplomacy. It showed him the power and benefits of delegation. He learned when to negotiate and when to stand firm. I personally believe that Nehemiah learned these skills and many more while serving as just a humble cupbearer. God equipped Nehemiah for Jerusalem long, long before he ever called him to go. Nehemiah just needed to trust God enough to step out and move into what God was calling him to. Little rhetorical question for you here. What's standing between you and God's plan for your life? Let me share some of my obstacles. I am comfortable where I am. There are people who don't agree with me and will stand in direct opposition to what God is asking me to do. And there's, then there's the big one, plain, simple fear. As I go through Nehemiah, I can see God address each and every one of these issues. Comfort plays an important part in our society. We want to have comfortable shoes. Our homes are designed not only for shelter, but largely for our comfort as well. Cars, offices, even workout machines use the term ergonomic, dare I say comfortable. We strive for comfort in our lives, both physically and mentally. We like the ease and simplicity that comfort brings to our lives. Trust me, I'm just as guilty in this room. I like it when nothing is rocking the proverbial boat. But God often calls us to move out of our comfort zones and into a space where we need to trust him more. Remember that great things seldom come while you're in your comfort zone. When we finally trust God enough 
to step out in faith, he can begin to mold us and use us in amazing ways. We see how God moved Nehemiah from a place of comfort into a place of trust. Nehemiah was most likely quite comfortable in the palace. Sure, he had to work hard every now and then, but undoubtedly, he, undoubtedly the palace offered a life that was much easier and more comfortable than most people experience. Through prayer, God moved Nehemiah to a place of dependence and trust upon him. Nehemiah could no longer find comfort in the palace life, but rather needed to move into what God was calling him to. Um, Nehemiah faced some pretty severe, aggressive opposition. Nehemiah 4, verses 7 and 8. But when Sanballat and Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, the people of Ashdod, heard that the repairs to, the Jerusalem, that re, the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. Jerusalem's neighbors did not want to see them fortified. They'd become comfortable looting and taking advantage of the Jews while the walls of Jerusalem were broken down. Nehemiah faced some really strong opposition in this realm. Not only were they threatening him, but his people as well. Again, God answered Nehemiah's prayers. He frustrated Sanballat and Tobiah's plans and brought the remnant strength and courage to stand firm and defend themselves. We too will face opposition when we start to follow God's plans. Guaranteed. It may be a coworker who doesn't believe or a neighbor who doesn't want to understand. Perhaps even a friend who's uncomfortable with the changes that they see happening in you. In any case, it takes perseverance and trust to see God's plan to the end. Personally, I think that fear is one of the greatest weapons that Satan uses against us. We can believe and have faith, but it only takes a little bit of fear to thwart the plans that God has for you. And unfortunately, that fear can take on many faces. There's the fear of rejection or what people are going to think of you. There's a fear of failure. And then there's that wonderful lie that feeds into the fear of failure. It's a lie that I'm not enough. Fear of personal injury or death can definitely play into some of our decisions. And even the fear of consequences, good or bad. Nehemiah could let fear of rejection influences judgment on several occasions. He could have ignored the report from Jerusalem because he thought that the king wouldn't listen or care. Nehemiah, as the new guy, may have feared that the people of Jerusalem wouldn't listen to him. Fear of failure may have led Nehemiah to uh, let the size and scope of rebuilding the wall just overwhelm him. He did not see the manpower for rebuilding he had priests and perfume makers, not masons and stone cutters. Then there are the lies that I'm not enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. I don't have the resources. Remember why I like Nehemiah? He's just an average Joe, just a cupbearer, not a diplomat, not an architect, not a soldier, not a prophet or priest. He's not even rich. 
just a simple sommelier. Nehemiah had to believe and trust God in all these areas where he fell short that God would step in and fill those gaps. As for the fear of pain and death, Sam Ballot and Tobiah really had it in for Nehemiah. Uh, they made threats against his life on more than one occasion. If Nehemiah did not trust God for his safety, he may have given up on the whole plan and gone back to his comfortable life. As I said, God perfectly equipped Nehemiah for the mission he had called him to. And as Nehemiah looked to God through prayer and godly counsel, God showed Nehemiah what he wanted and expected from him. The book of Nehemiah is a great story. But now what? This is all good and wonderful for Nehemiah, but how can I apply this to my life today? Fortunately, we serve the same God that Nehemiah did, and he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I trust that if we apply some of the same principles that Nehemiah used, we can get some answers for our own life issues as well. First and foremost, we need to start with prayer. Nehemiah 1.4. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah had a burden placed upon his heart. He knew the problem, but he didn't know what to do with it. So he prayed and let God know how he was feeling. God didn't remove that burden from Nehemiah, but rather opened a door for him to address that burden directly. Nehemiah then had to make a choice whether or not he was going to step through that door. Just like Nehemiah, we have a choice to make, whether we're going to follow God and do something about the burden that he puts on our hearts or sit back and be comfortable. So often I think that we have an opportunity to work into the vision and mission of God but we choose that comfortable route. One of the most asked questions I hear is, how do I know if this is God or just me? And I'm going to give you a twofold answer on this one. My men's group kind of hates it when I do this, but you know, yes. Um, but there's a Bible, uh, first and foremost, Bible that you're reading on a regular basis that's going to explain the nature, wisdom, and purpose of God. Yes, I know, and I apologize. There's a little bit of tone and sarcasm in that. Um, but we absolutely need to be in God's word on a regular basis. As a church, one of our core beliefs is that we believe that the Bible, the Old and the New Testament, is the word of God and the only perfect rule for faith, doctrine, and conduct. This means that we can find out what God's purposes and plans are through the Bible and if the issues that we're facing match the character and call of who we've learned God is. One of the quick checks that I use in my life is Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Something pops up in my life, and I want to check whether it's something I want to dwell on. I run it through this list real quick. 
Most things that are not going to be beneficial will fall short pretty early in the list. In the, list. the farther down the list it goes, the more peaceful I am about it. This is just one check that the Bible has, and it's not foolproof on its own. But the more you read the Bible, the more you understand the living word and God's purposes for your life. The second part of my answer is community. Fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, we're designed for community. God never intended for us to do life alone. Genesis 2.18 says it pretty plain and simple. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. Community or other people in our lives offer several benefits. It offers accountability. We should be relying on others to hold us to our faith and make sure that our actions and our words are in alignment with our witness for Jesus. The community around us should offer us support as well. Acts 4, 33 through 35 declares it in this way. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in all of them that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. We should be supporting each other and lifting each other up. I really do want to see each and every person in this room succeed in their godly ventures. Because when you succeed, I benefit as well. I get to share in the blessings and the joy. So why wouldn't I want to support you in your missions and vice versa? Community also offers us a purpose and meaning. There's a great little verse right in the middle of Nehemiah 4, and it's verse 14. After I looked things over, I stood up. <laughs> and I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, Fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Community is worth fighting for. When we stop fighting amongst ourselves, we can really stand firm and fight against our common enemy. In addition, when we work and fight for each other, we're all blessed and can in turn bless even more people than we can on our own. God really did place these people in your life to help in every aspect of your life. I'm going to ask the band to come on up, because I keep it short if you don't know me. Um, <laughs> but the last thing I'd like to say is do something. It really would have been easy for Nehemiah to think, that's terrible. And as Rob said last week, write a detailed Facebook post complaining about the problem and then go on with his life. But Nehemiah moved. He put his faith into action. I'm not asking you to leave your job or head overseas, but I would ask that you do something to support your community and or reach out to the lost. If you feel God's calling you into ministry, maybe start by leading a small group. If you feel God calling you to missions, there's a huge mission field right in your backyard. 
talk to your neighbors. Still not sure? A whole page of contacts on the restoration websites of ministry team leaders. You can contact any one of them, and I'm sure they'd be willing to hook you up. You can do anything from the care team to tech to worship to kids, even clean or set up. They all help the community that is restoration. If none of this is moving you at this point, at uh, this moment in time, at a very minimum, I'd say, please pray. Prayer changes things. Prayer moves the heart of God, and it will transform you if you let it. And on that, would you play, please pray with me? Father God, I thank you for your grace, your mercy, and your peace that dwells with each and every one of us. I pray that you would strengthen the call on the heart of the pe your people, that they would step through that doorway and that they would see you move in miraculous ways, that we'd, we would hold each other accountable and that, would we, we, ah, that we would love one another and that we would build each other up. I ask these things in Jesus' name.